I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You can act like a man! Right, lad, it's time to man up. Yeah. Come on. Take your boys to a little corner and teach them how to cry all I don't day. Think that's what What is masculinity? Okay. Um, how are you doing, man? Not bad. Not too bad. Um, I, yeah, I was a bit hungover yesterday um, and I had the fear. Oh. And it was really not very nice at all. I had it all day about like just like innocuous shit. Just stuff that God, on reflection is obviously just like why are we even worried about that? But like God, I was really panicky. Yeah. And um you know how you know how in, in the one of the previous episodes we were talking about dating apps and yep. hinge. And I was like, I don't have hinge. Well I've got it now. Ooh. Because um it's spring and you know The lambs are like, coming out. Lambs are out. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, getting that spring horn. And the lockdown horn. Yeah. Um so so I got hinge, right? And um and I was on hinge yesterday when I was feeling a bit anxious. And one of the you know how you have like six pictures and then you put like three yeah. responses Text to questions. Things, yeah. yeah. So the qu- the question that I responded to was the the prompt is together we could, right? Yeah. And you fill in. And I wrote together we could walk wander around a Glasgow park horny as fuck. Yeah, and and so when I'm sitting there like anxious yesterday, someone likes my likes my answer, and I'm yeah. like, oh, oh, great, a bit of validation when I'm feeling vulnerable. Yeah, and she and like you can also comment as yeah, one yeah, you yeah. like as well. And so she commented on that answer, like horny and rock under park, just one word, pedo. Oh, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? Ooh. <laughs> That's the last thing you want to hear when you're like. I was like, what oh, have I done? Yeah. I was like, what have I done? What have I, I done? Was, I was already on my knees and you've just kicked me in the jaw. <laughs> oh. It was I was I was horrified, man. Right, it, here like, we go. <laughs> I was just like did, Wait, did the conversation develop? Did it fuck? I was like, I was like, I'm too I'm too I, I'm too panicky for this, man. I just cannot be engaged. Oh, did you not like, even accept it? No, no. Oh, okay. I was fair. like this I was like, this banter is too edgy. Like, I don't even want to like I don't even want to deal I do with not this, want man. to dip my finger in that pie. <laughs> that that was yeah. not a sexual euphemism. That was literally just like fingers in pies. Yeah, um, yeah. Right here we go. Uh, tell me your two other like text prompts, and then I'll tell you mine. Um. Oh, one of them is just like. Uh, one of them is a bit more earnest, and it's like, "What are you looking for?" And I'm like, "I'm looking for someone who's kind and." Uh, likes listening to Radio 4 and ambient oh. music oh. and <laughs> won't mind my dumb jokes. Cool, cool. Um, La- I can't one. remember what the other one is. I can't right. mind. It's something shit. Okay. Yeah. Um. So my first one is an absolute zinger. Um, All right. It's the I'm convinced that prompt. Uh, and it's I'm convinced that Dick and Don getting cancelled due to parents' complaints was the first precursor to Brexit. <laughs> wow, gets, gets that, quite a lot of traction. That that? Lot? Does it? Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, what I don't like is that, you know, there's like, it's quite like in to be in to conspiracy theories. Aye. And I, is, well, hang on, hang on. I said aye. Is it? Is oh, it, is a, lot of, a lot of people on the Hinge profiles would be like, I'm proper into conspiracy theories. Is that right? Maybe London. Which, yeah, maybe. Which I think is... I think it's become a bit like basic and redundant, but that's just me being like trying to be edgy. But on top of that, I'm just a bit like, isn't it a bit dangerous to like express a quote unquote interest in conspiracy <laughs> theories? Cause you could just quite easily like slip into believing some absolute guff. Mm. Um, mm. But anyway, so people will be like, Oh, good conspiracy theory. And I'm like, no, it's a hot take. It's a hot take. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm very open to the fact that it just might be bollocks but it's just like a little cultural link that kind of makes sense. But mm. I'm, I'm not saying like fucking Tony Blair was involved with it to like set up Brexit 20 years down the line. Yeah. I'm just, well, probably not 20. Uh, it was the 25th anniversary of Dick and Dom yesterday. They posted it, it on their Instagram. Yeah. Um, I'm a champion of Dick and Dom. I think it's the greatest kids TV that ever yeah. existed. Mm. There's a Geordie policeman that lives in the toilet who's constantly trying to arrest Dom. How good's that? That is, uh, yeah. How did that even get commissioned? God. They must have had like very little oversight, or the person yeah. who no, exactly. I, I honestly have... don't think it would get commissioned now. Um, mm. But the UK would be a better place if something like it did. Anyway, I was going to I was going to talk about Birdman for ages, but I think we should probably just get on with it. Time flies, Birdman. Uh. What is masculinity? Welcome to the Anti-Mask Podcast, where we make compassionate critiques of masculinity in the 21st century. Um, today we're going to talk about some quite sensitive issues. We're not going to dwell on the particulars for mulling over things like gender-based violence and murder and all the rest of it, but uh, just to let you know that that is what it's about. But we're looking at more structural things and obviously looking at at it, looking at it through the lens of masculinity and critiquing what men do and what they can change. So there are some sensitive topics, but we're not obsessing over it. But uh, yeah, I'm going to open the conversation with this, Alistair. I think like when you realise that men as an entire like identity group are responsible for some kinds of oppression and threats and all the rest of it, I personally found that not liberating but somewhat comfortable because because I was like, but well, because you know how we always still talk about like men as, you know, men who kidnap or murder or rape or whatever, that it's like, oh, well, he was a wrong in him. He, he shouldn't, you need to lock him up. And then we don't look at how it's a society-wide problem, a gender-based problem. So then that like creates the idea that anyone who does anything close to that, that's like violent or threatening based on like gender dynamics is a wrong one. But then when you accept the fact that there's a little bit of that in all of us, anyone who's been like socialized as a man and it exists to varying degrees in every man that it's like, oh, well, I don't have to like have that entire burden of being a threat or an oppressor because it's something that we've all got and we've all been conditioned to be like. Mm. 
So I've still got to put in the work to change it, but like I can't change all the men in the world overnight. And that's a shame, but that's kind of okay too. Aye. Um, right, where do you want me to start? Sorry, I've just gone in with such a big fucking hot take. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I have some... How do I link this to what you said? But, like, it... Yeah, well, yeah. once you realise that it's a wider problem with the social group, um, it doesn't really help at all to feel, like, guilty about yeah. it. Yeah. That's, like, not a useful... Um, emotion. I know emotions don't need to be useful, but that's not helpful. Yeah. And what is helpful is to take responsibility, um, because and to recognise there's a power, there's a power imbalance. Physically, there's a power imbalance, and well, also socially, um, the social one can could be um, like lessened with work but the the you know the, the physical power imbalance is kind of innate right and we're gonna so 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 there will always be something there and you need to be able to recognize that and take responsibility for that and act responsibly because yeah. like power imbalances um they're always they will always exist in some way in some context but um it's the abuse of power which is the is the is the bad thing not necessarily like a power dynamic, right? Because you've got a power dynamic between between parents and children. It's the abuse of that power imbalance that's that's bad. And um, does that make sense? I mean, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying about without getting to essential of like, you know, people who like move away from um, identifying as whatever gender they're assigned at birth. That just like generally, yes, like. 95% of the population are probably going to continue for now at least unless like you know maybe gender will disappear one day but like there's going to be men there's going to be women and men physically will generally be larger is what you're saying that like that's just a reality for at least like short-term history yeah future, the short-term future mm. um fair enough the power structure might be rooted in biology but we've got to a point where we should get past that really Definitely, yeah, 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 yeah. We should get past that, and and um, that's what taking the responsibility. That's what we should do with. with oh, okay. I see what you mean about. That's what be, we should take responsibility for is making be, be, change. Yeah, yeah, I get you, but but tied in with the like body thing, you're saying like be more aware of how your body itself presents as a th- presents as a threat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I got yeah. you. That's yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, to, to 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 go back on the like the point of guilt, that's um something kind of related to that that I quite liked was um my friend who's a woman was I was talking about this with her just the other day, and she was like, "I'm so sick of men asking like, oh, what can I do to help like be less of a threat?" Because so there's a few things I can see how. Asking that question in uh, in and of itself can be seen as kind of like a virtue signaling. If it's like on social media, it's like, what can I do to help? But by posing that question, you're just getting women to like put in the emotional labor of telling men what they need to do. And again, that's 
they are like showing a sign of goodwill, but maybe not taking responsibility in the way that they could. Because it's still kind of like, oh, I've done all these wrong things. Tell me what to do. And some are really obvious, like, don't be creepily close to someone. Maybe cross the road if you can. To be fair, I never thought of the crossing the roads. But I did always, like, when I saw a woman cross the road away from me, be like, okay, I respect that and I see what she's doing and I'm going to stay here now. But I now know in the future that I should more proactively distance myself from a woman if I think it's somewhere she might feel uncomfortable. But that... Basically, you can Google all these things. That's what I'm saying. Right. Like, you don't have to... All It's only self-serving if you're on social media being like, I want me to be seen asking what to do so that everyone knows I'm yeah. saying the right thing. Whereas you could uh-huh. just do the research and change your practices in everyday life. And you don't have to shout about it. You just do it and it just helps. Yeah, but then also maybe, you know, you're setting a good example to other men to like... Um, to show compassion and are willing to um, take responsibility for your own yeah. like, threat but I, level. I, I, yeah, I suppose. I just think like men would maybe be better off than like finding out whatever they need to find out and then spreading those messages to other men that they know and yeah. being like, this is what we need to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because like the women know what needs to be done, but they they can't make all the change happen themselves because they're not the problem. They're the like recipients of the problem. Uh huh. Yeah. What was was there anything? Was did you say there was another thing that your pal? Oh yeah. I can't remember now. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. That was it. That like as a woman, she was like, it seems so fucking obvious to me what you need to do. And I have just kind of said that, but well, I haven't also because I said like, Oh, well now I think, yeah, I should proactively cross the road myself rather than respect a woman doing it. Um, that forgivably, she was like, why do men just not know what simple changes they need to make? And I think a more sympathetic response would be no, actually when you conditioned as a man to, know that you're allowed to take up or be told that you're allowed to take up space and not be aware that you are a threat to so many other people that you actually just don't know. And like, that is a bad and scary thing. And that's why it takes a lot of work. But I think it shows that forgivably, like still the onus is on men that a lot of women, because it is so obvious to them, because those obvious changes would make their lives so much better. They overlook how, not obvious it is to men because because it wouldn't make their lives worse because that's like one of those like men's act, men's rights activist things where it's like oh feminism would take away rights of ours but like it is a tiny way of like getting rid of a kind of privilege because all of a sudden like spaces and places are not just for you yeah so so it's not you know I, i'm not condoning like being a threat and being oppressive but you you know if you want to like subscribe to the idea that like having privileges is good then like if you're only working in your own self-interests why would you think about what changes you can make like if the system works for you you pr- you might not ask those questions yeah why would you if exactly it's rosy for you yeah 
which isn't what yeah. we're condoning. Like you need to ask those questions because it's not rosy for everyone. But yeah, just think yeah. it's a uh, interesting point. Uh, that was that was quite roundabout, but I think we got some some points out of it. Yeah, I just wanted to like the thing about that thing about feeling safe, um, and like do like what can I do to like yeah like cross the road and all that stuff. That's different from like actually being safe, and like the people that are like re- like receptive to these messages, these like these behaviors that will help someone help women feel safe the people that are gonna do change their behavior are not the like are yeah and I know unlikely to be the perpetrators and so it's a it's, yeah it's a it's another well, one it feels it feels a little bit like well like putting a, a plaster on a on like a a, a amputated leg or something um, I, I, I but what, i do there's still value in it let me just say that there's still like it's still needs to, it should be done differently i think because it's still better to like it's still better to to live without fear right yeah yeah no one no one wants to live in fear and we should you know if we can do something small to improve just someone's everyday experience then then do it yeah i think i do think though like if you really want to be like quite radically critical of of yourself and all men again all right you know maybe like the people asking that are not the people who are gonna kill people or assault people but i think you've always got to view things on a spectrum and they still will be people who have done things that have made women feel uncomfortable and may continue to do so because they don't question it and think it's okay Mm -hmm. if you see what i'm getting at yeah, I do, I do, and yeah, yeah. There's still, yeah, there's still value in it. I mean, yeah. and there's there'll be like edge cases where you know, it, it's small steps, isn't it? And it's yeah. There's there's no one there's no one policy. Yeah. It's it's all little little steps. Well, was- <laughs> that must be so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it's just little steps, and it's like yeah, we've been pressed for centuries yeah can we can we have some bigger steps please can i uh bring some reading material into it i think i think now's the time yeah to talk about some academic conversations around fear um yeah so i've been reading the best part of a book called feminist city by a canadian academic called leslie kern and it's looking at spaces and places in urban areas and how it ties in with gender and all sorts of intersections of identity. So race and class and ability and all the rest of it. But particularly for this episode, I read what I think is the second to last chapter before the conclusion called City of Fear and kind of like looking at academic explorations of fear, basically. And it was just interesting, some of the things she found. Um, So research in the 1990s had repeatedly shown that men were more likely to experience violence in public, whereas women were more likely to experience it at the hands of someone they knew, so namely in domestic spaces. So it's really interesting that basically what she's saying is 
violence and threats of violence within like the nuclear family and like domestic patriarchal sort of relationships then impact women's fear in everyday life outside of the home even though statistically the risk is lower than it is with within like social networks so like assuming that it was this policeman that um did what happened to Sarah Everard and and they didn't know each other personally that whilst that fear of something like that happening is totally legitimate and societally makes complete sense is statistically a lot less likely than someone being assaulted or murdered in the home or just by someone they know yes yeah which i think then for what men need to question is well it's not just how do i appear on the street and and how do i come across in a dark space or pressed up against someone on public transport but like how is my relationships with the women i'm actually closest to be it friends or family right and partners um because that's actually where it's clear that like violence and assault is often tied up with familiarity and that yes the things that happen on the street are a bit more freak in the sense that they'll still be yeah they'll still be very gendered but it it probably is more likely someone who needed like psychological attention anyway whereas i mean i think anyone who like commits you know domestic violence or violence of any need psychological attention but if you do it to someone you close you if you do it to someone you are close to then there's clearly like so much emotional and long-term relationship dynamics already tied up into it that what am i trying to say here that it didn't happen overnight so it it is a relationship and then a societal problem because it clearly keeps happening in different domestic spaces and it develops over time and then it gets to a tipping point where men can't process frustration and they take it out on a female relative or friend or whatever that that these are not freak accidents they happen over time through whatever's going on in a relationship that impacts why a man might lash out but also societally they're definitely being told subtly that they can do that yeah there must be some kind of tacit on some level like approval or or like well a level of impunity that you can you can do that yeah because it's it's uh what's the word pervasive yeah yeah exactly yeah impunity is a really good word and yeah and to do and to do that to to people that you're so close with as well that you're you're so familiar with and people that you can be normal with suggest that this is to an extent normal behavior right oh that's a really good point yeah these are the people yeah. these are the people and, and you're yourself with and if that's yeah and yeah and if that's part of yourself then that's concerning and that's yeah. scary yeah 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 i really like that point um oh it's it's difficult isn't it when you get excited about a really good critical point that's actually bleakly depressing it's very, it's very bleak yeah 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 oh well oh, i love that energy 
Um, uh, what was I going to... Yeah, so then um, Leslie Kern, this academic, she's a feminist geographer, which is a phrase I'd never... Two words I'd never heard together, but I do do like that as a combination. Cool. Um, points out, I, I don't have any stats and I can't remember if there were any in the book, but it says, you know, um, a lot of contributing factors to this fear in public spaces is that women explicitly and implicitly are told they're not meant to be in certain spaces. And the media reports often on catcalling, sexual harassment. The Sarah Everard case is a perfect example of quite a freak happen- freak event happening in a public space. But Leslie Kern points out that the media rarely reports on violence from partners, which is actually more pervasive. So it's this like unspoken but very prevalent issue. Um, and also it like mm. happens in like culture as well, you know, sort of like rapes and murders in crime dramas and stuff like that are very often obsessed over the fact of the woman being a victim. Um, so basically the most like poignant conclusion Leslie Kerr makes, I think is that the social function of women's fear is the control of women because she says at the start of this chapter that there seems to be this huge paradox that women are fearful of violence in public, but then statistically it's less likely than at home. But she debunks that and she's like, it's not a paradox because the fear from home impacts their fear of wider society, if you see what I mean. Uh And then she says an actual paradox is that if the social function of women's fear is to control women, the paradox is that it keeps women dependent on men as protectors, but they're also the primary threat. Mm. And again, like, as you were saying earlier, um, you know, like cases of domestic violence look at, it's, it's often a case where someone's being violent towards someone they're meant to be able to most be themselves with. And clearly a lot of men would envisage themselves and their relationship with a woman as a protector. But I think like that's something that needs to be changed or rather protection should absolutely be a two-way thing in a relationship. If you yeah. see what I mean? Yeah. And and just mutual support might be a better word than the protector. Yeah. Cause protection is protection is still kind of control. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I can see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's inherently bad, but no. I think it needs a little bit of unpicking. Yeah, 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 um, completely. Because it's tied up with it is tied up with with um, ownership. Yeah. But then, and then yeah, go on. Well, I just, just I was just going to say, like you know, the example like to protect your children is is like not something that needs to be unpicked. Like right? questioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we would just accept that as great. Yeah, but, um, it's a different. Obviously, they're different relationships. So yeah, completely. Um, I'm, I'm, oh, it'd be quite an interesting thing to interrogate more though that like what parallels there are with like child-parent relationships because they have to develop out of that phase of protection into something that is a relationship of two adults, right? Um, what, wait, what do you mean? That, that a, a parent does not protect their child for the entire child's life at some point they have to flee from the nest. Hmm. And then 
that control disappears. And I'm wondering if there's any like parallel there with like how gendered relationships should change in the sense that it's often viewed as like a man is a protector of a woman in a heterosexual relationship. But that needs to, you're still going to like maybe live together and be in love and all the rest of it. But, but that idea of protection tied in with control should develop into something more like how we think parent-child relationship should develop. Right. Um, I'm not. I'm not trying to say. <laughs> I'm not trying to identify a man as a parent. <laughs> okay. That's like a bad parallel. But I'm just saying, like societally, yeah. you can see how there's like a, a imbalance of control. But it needs to level out in the same way that an ideal parent-child relationship I, would over time. Because there's trust. You need to trust your kids to like do just get on and, and live a happy life and yeah. look after themselves when they get over a certain age. Yeah. Um, point I want to hone in on very quickly is that maybe not quickly um, I'm not doing anything radical at all by saying this um, because so many other people have said it but there is the uh, significant fact that the Sarah Everard case has received so much media attention and it's definitely quite largely to do with the fact that the media views it as a case that's digestible to like white middle-class Britain um, because mm. I can't comment on like Sarah Everard's background or anything and it shouldn't matter really but she was in quite an affluent um, sort of uh, she was in a part of London that's inhabited by quite affluent millennials or millennials from affluent backgrounds and was certainly a white woman and the media knows that that resonates with more sort of moderate to conservative thinkers. But equally in the past year, lots of women of colour have disappeared in horrific and unsolved cases as well, such as Blessing or Sagan found on the beach in Sussex in September 2020, which didn't make the news initially. It has thankfully gained some more traction since the Sarah Everard case, I think. But again, like that shouldn't need to happen. There was a death of a Filipino woman, Ben Lynn Burke, and her two-year-old child in Dundee in the past year. And then Wen Jing Lin, who I'm assuming is of Chinese descent, um, died in Wales earlier in March. So there is still a lot of work to be done in terms of not just combating gender-based violence, but also other identities of women who are at threat and how that impacts how much we value their, the harm done to them and their disappearances, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why is, you know, unfortunately women getting abducted off the street is not, not new. So what is the, what was the, why did the Sarah Everard case like kind of light a touch paper or like spark such a, such a strong response when, when these other cases that had happened before that you just mentioned yeah, didn't have the same response. And I think it's to do with, it's to do with race. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there'll be, way more like commentators of colour who have been making that point way before, so I'm not trying to 
be like, hey guys, this is a really original hot take. Uh, I'm just saying that if we want to like get conversations going amongst men and white men in particular, that's something that they need to hear. And that's why I want to say it now, basically. Cool. Um, I don't want to dig into it too much, but there is an amazing book by Judith Butler called Frames of War, which is about like cultural and media representations of war outside of the Western world, particularly the Middle East in like the 21st century. So Iraq and Syria and all the rest of it. Cool. And she come, she coins this idea of a mournable life and a non-mournable life. So the idea being that through media representation, if loads of people are like bombed in Syria or Iraq when um, the second Gulf War was happening, it's quite easy to distance ourselves from that loss. One, because we're not on the ground, but two, because of racism, basically, whether we like it or not, we like see them as less quote unquote valuable lives. So it's easier to like not mourn. Uh-huh. Whereas that's so then that's, and then if you tie that in with just like domestic issues in the UK or US or whatever, you can see how that idea applies to, you know, like the very mass fear, anger, and mourning of Sarah Everard compared to scant conversations about these women of color. Because, like, socially, just through like media narratives and what we're conditioned to think we're not taught to value those lives as much in, in the first place. And that's what needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you don't like see these people like on, on telly or, or like to hear their stories, then you're going to resonate less deeply with them. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, and it's a really tough question because, you know, no one, say you've got a relative who's died of COVID, you're going to mourn that more than that person who you saw in the shop once a week that's also died of COVID uh-huh. because they're closer to you. So, you know, no one, no one's saying, oh, you need to get just as sad about the death of a stranger as you do a close relative. But when there's that clear correlation with race, then it's definitely more than that, if you see yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a really interesting, I don't want to delve into it too much, but um, it made me think of the Madeleine McCann case a little bit. Why? Obviously, we don't know the circumstances of her disappearance, but the media like absolutely went to town on it. And yeah. so much money was made from selling stories about that be they fabricated or not. And also like so much police taxpayers money in Portugal and the UK has gone into finding that little girl. And um, one journalist wrote an article quite recently, actually, I think when some, that German guy had been arrested saying how I think at like in, in like peak tourist years, something like 10 million Brits go to Spain and Portugal throughout a tourist season. And there's very like class-based uh, stereotypes of what Brits are like abroad. So, you know, like footy fans and getting proper pissed outside clubs and having fights and sometimes, and you know, falling off balconies pissed or on drugs or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there are loads of deaths on holiday in the Iberian Peninsula <laughs> um, yes. of Brits. 
but that Madeleine McCann was this innocent little white girl whose parents were both doctors and they were just sort of like the model, like white family. So then the media found it a lot easier to mourn and shout about that because it was so much more digestible to like middle-class white Britain. Yeah. And again, I'm sure lots of other little girls who didn't come from similar families have gone missing and we're still not hearing about them 10 years on or however Mm. long it's been. Mm. Um, Just to reiterate, I don't want to express any insensitivity about, you know, these white people going missing it's it's nothing to do with that individual case it's society that's the problem how do you decide what stories are worth publishing because you have finite space on your website it's finite content you can push out every day that's a really interesting point who what (laughs) how do you decide (laughs) and it's yeah well um um, what is it I i heard steven pinker on the radio quite recently talking about just like the past year because he's he's seen as like quite a positive like social scientist and thinker and stuff and he was like he described the news as a like oh what's the word like curated sample of negative stuff that's happened in any one day if you see what i mean yeah Sure, That's how yeah. he described it. He was like, there's not much positive news. The news is generally things of concern. Mm-hmm. And there's usually like one happy thing at the end. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting. I'd say like there's cultural impact. Like, you know, if you've got like uh, an editorial room, like dominated by older middle-class white men, and then the whole like editorial team is largely white, then like um, subconsciously, you may be going to focus on stories affecting people more like who's in that editorial room. And then on top of that, I think increasingly as print media has had to compete with online media and online media as a whole has had to become more clickbaity, then it's like, it's just like whatever shocks the most and gains the most engagement and has the potential to go viral. Um, Cause that's why uh, a lot of people say that, CNN, like, even though they're a very um, moderate and a news network that consider themselves to have a lot of integrity, like, they helped Trump win the election because they gave him so much airtime because it saved their ratings. And it, it was the same with the New York Times as well. It's not like they were reporting anything positive about him, but they were still reporting about him shitloads because it got readers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a bit conscious of time, so do you want to talk about Not All Men? Yeah, sure. I mean, I kind of hate it, but I think we should probably, we should probably talk about it anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, now I'll read my tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think I, I think it's a tricky one because it's just, it's a distraction. It's just a huge distraction from the actual issue, which is male violence against women. And the issue mm. isn't the viol- the issue isn't the violence of all men against women, but that's sure. often what the argument, the important yeah. argument gets morphed into, gets sucked into this like cesspit, which is just which is a distraction. It's it's not, it yeah, but you know if you if you are like you know if you're like an average guy who's who's say who isn't that politically engaged right. But you consider yourself like a nice person, and you're broadly supportive of 
social justice and but you wouldn't you, maybe you'd go to a march but or i don't know um like with the you know with like the rise of social media and like it's easier for for it's easier to hear stories that you wouldn't normally hear before like minorities and marginalized groups have been given a been given like a platform increasingly over the past decade or whatever yeah like one of the messages one of the common messages um by margin these marginalized groups is like don't generalize us generalizations are bad like don't like these stereotypes are harmful you know our group has a spectrum of behaviors and by generalizing us that language is is actually like harmful yeah so and so like as the kind of like moderate guy you're like yeah yeah okay i'm a yeah that makes that makes sense that makes yeah yeah why of course of course i'm not going to like i don't want to generalize yes that's that's bad and then and you're like yeah i feel really good i'm a really good guy and then like you see something on twitter and it's like people being like men need to do this and men should be in prison and like i hate men and you're like oh (laughs) wait a second and there's like a cognitive dissonance there's like a yeah there's like a there's like two things in your head that are like hang on a minute wait 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 but generalization is bad but 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 (laughs) but violence against women is bad Ah, and they're generalizing me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah. it, it's because it, it's never fun to be part of a group and told that that you behave a certain way because that group behaves that way. It's, yeah, you know yeah. what, it doesn't matter what the group is, right? You just don't like it. Yeah, um, true. But it's it's it's, and then would you agree that? But when it's like a majority or a dominant group, that is how do you explain it i know you mean it's sort of punching up and so it's punching up so you kind of have to get over the generalization and take take, it on the chin take on chin stiff up yeah without sounding a bit toxic masculinity yeah yeah just check it on chin there's another paradox there isn't there um there's another conflict there i no i think it's different it's just taking responsibility that doesn't have to be gendered sure sure um, but yeah, 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 it's just annoying because it's a distraction. <laughs> and it's like yes, yeah, and yeah, yes, yes. It's not. It isn't all men, but like you know. And maybe it's just like lazy. Maybe it's just like lazy language in a, in a tweet. You know. Well, and, I mean, that's the thing. Like, that's why I'm. I think doing a podcast is important because you actually get to bat around ideas, whereas tweeting's like. Idea, idea, and then it's just loads of people bashing their heads against each other metaphorically. Aye, and it's yeah. like it's. I mean, like Twitter is now notoriously just the most messy social media platform, but it's also the one where the most like it's the one that caters to like journalism and and discussion and stuff the most as well because it's more text based, but it's still just a clusterfuck. It's a cesspit. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's spaces in it that are very, like, I really don't do much Twittering. Because who even says Twittering? (laughs) I sound like a fucking boomer. (laughs) And, uh, but I'm sure there's lots of, like, liberational and progressive spaces on it, but 
Aye. Even then, like, you know, there's all sorts of cancel culture stuff on there as well, which is something that the, like, general left is guilty of. Even if they've got good intentions, they're not really engaging with a problem mm. as in as detailed a way as they could do. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, on that note, shall I read a tweet from Twitter? Let's go for it. Um, which is by someone from West Yorkshire in response to all the conversations that were going on around the Sarah Everard case a few weeks ago. And it's a little thread where someone replies to something and it's just like an absolute emotional roller coaster of like quite middle of the road misunderstandings of combating violence and the kind of not all men narrative. So someone tweets, proper feminist crying laughter emoji. You can still thank men for being a gentleman, opening car door for your missus, pulling out the chair at a table and pushing her in, putting your coat on them when they're cold, flowers, etc. Or does that not fit the agenda? And then someone responds, no, I'm not giving a shout out to men that decide not to assault me, lol. Fair point. And then the original tweeter responds, walking a girl home to make sure they're safe is a shout out. That man is putting himself at risk to make sure she's safely home, you dickhead. All right. P.S. I do agree with the protests, etc. regarding harassment on woman. Some blokes are really not right in the head and it does need stopping. Aye, so he tries to bring it back round. Yeah, it's just that like last bit is like a concession that actually it's all very good. But within there, he's called a woman making a really sort of sensible point a dickhead which is quite aggressive and not nice yeah. and also ah, we're running out of time a bit but it would have been good to um look at that like that misunderstanding of combating men as a threat and violence and fucking chivalry because <laughs> yeah. basically what that guy's tweeting about is chivalry and actually i find that tweet like funny because of the misunderstanding, but I also want to express some sympathy because I'm just like, oh, you've been taught that like to be a good man is all yeah. these things yeah. that are tied up with chivalry. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've had quite a few disagreements with women on dates about chivalry as well. Cause I've said, I don't like the idea of it. Yeah. And I think often like a woman's thought that I just want to be like selfish and not thoughtful but then what I'm saying is like, no, chivalry is about, still about control. I th- yeah. I want to talk about chivalry a lot. Yeah. Right. Let's, let's get on our horses next time. Me. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, cool. Yeah. Excellent. Any, any closing sentiments? You dickhead. You dickhead. Um, I would say don't call women dickheads. <laughs> my closing sentiment. You know what? Don't call men dickheads. Yeah, don't call anyone. Well, don't 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 throw not, around not the word men, dickhead. No. Not, all not all men. Yeah. Not all men. Don't call men um, dickheads, but not all men. Yeah. So actually, my concluding remark is: unfortunately, yes, all men, and we have to be frank about that, and we've got to interrogate that. Yes, all men, but you're not necessarily an awful, awful person because all men. Because if it's everyone, how can you be the sole problem? So. It's an uncomfortable truth, but take it on board and then we can move from there.
yeah embrace your responsibility as a man embrace your responsibility i like that well thank you again for listening to the anti-mass podcast uh we've had a really interesting conversation about fear violence responsibility and what we can do to change please carry on listening please subscribe leave us a nice review on apple podcasts um and spread the words on social media thanks very much guys thank you bye-bye what is masculinity